If you didn't get it, the kids are gone, I think. The offering was missed, but you're not going to miss it out later on. And you've now got me. It's lovely to be back preaching uh, with you guys today. And uh, it's great to have this fantastic passage to preach on. I uh, phoned Simon a week and a half ago and said, what do you want me to preach on? You know, we're in James. That's really exciting. Love the book. Trying to memorize as much as I can. I'm ready to preach on James. He said, oh, no, you can preach on whatever you want. I was like, oh, brilliant. And you know that moment where you get told you can do anything? Your brain goes completely blank. And I sat there going, God, what do you want me to preach on? (sighs) Nothing. Nothing came for a whole day. So then I sort of thought, well, do you know what? Nothing's coming. You're just going to get preached about what God's teaching me. So I hope you know what I say. I'm actually speaking to myself. And uh, if it doesn't work for you guys, that's fine. There's coffee at the end. You'll all be happy. But I'm preaching to myself today as much as I'm preaching to you. So with that in mind, we're going to pray for each other and for myself that God perhaps speaks to us, whispers stuff to us that we need to hear today. So I'd love you to stand and we're going to pray together asking that God hears us. We're standing because we're expectant, okay, guys? So let's just listen to what God's got to say to us. Lord, we're standing expectant to hear your voice through your Bible, through whatever uh, you've spoken to me, Lord. May I speak it faithfully to myself and to our friends here. Lord, speak to us. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts open to receive what you're saying. And as we heard last week from James, may we not just be hearers of the word. May that translate into action. May we be doers of your word too. So speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. You don't have to stand for the whole sermon. That would be a moment. Jan beautifully read to us from Mark chapter 1, a particular favourite passage of mine at the moment. And uh, she read it from the NIV, but I just want to read it from the message uh, paraphrase as we start together, because I think it captures something quite special. At once, the same spirit pushed Jesus out into the wild. For 40 wilderness days and nights, he was tested by Satan. Wild animals were his companions and angels took care of him. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the message of God. Time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your lives and believe the message. Passing along the beach of the Lake of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew net fishing. Fishing was their regular work. Jesus said to them, come with me and I'll make you a new kind of fisherman. I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and base. They didn't ask questions. They dropped their nets and followed A dozen yards or so down the beach, he saw brothers James and John also fishing. They were Zebedee's sons, and they were in their boats mending their fishing nets. Right off, he made them the same offer, and immediately they left their father Zebedee and their boat and the hired hands, and they followed him. 
We're, uh, as you know, on a little journey to start a missional community, a community based around being the family that God wants us to be. And so this passage has been really significant to us as we begin to explore what it means to be disciples of Jesus together. I'd love you, uh, if you're a church member, to come a week on Tuesday to the church meeting because we're going to launch our missional community so you can come and hear a little bit more about it. But as we've been reading this together as a a missional community, but also as we've been uh, reflecting on it individually, I've been struck by what Jesus says to those disciples. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come and follow me. I love the way that Mark puts just these short verses because it reminds me of the adventure that he was calling the disciples on. In the space of about five verses, we learn that Jesus went to the desert to be tested by Satan. John was uh, arrested for being a follower of Jesus and preaching the good news. And then he goes and calls his his first disciples. I remember reading that at Bible college and thinking, blimey, I'm exhausted just in 10 passages, uh, 10 verses, because he was on an adventure. And that's what Jesus is saying here to the disciples. Come and go on an adventure with me. Now, they didn't have a clue what that really meant. And I know for me, when I started my walk with Jesus, didn't have a clue what that would mean. But just in these short passages, we learn a lot about the disciples' hearts. Jesus wanders down to the beach. He finds some fishermen. And Jesus never does anything by mistake. He knew these guys were the ones that would be the ones who would be his disciples. And it was a very unlikely group. They weren't even that good fishermen. If you read about, you know, how many times did they throw their nets over and they caught nothing? Many times. But actually, God wanted these guys. And these guys would have heard of Jesus, absolutely no doubt. They would have known him to be some kind of teacher, a rabbi. But they would never have expected in a million years that Jesus would say to them, I want you to be my disciples. You see, disciples were ones who were educated, who weren't in the family trade. They were the ones who were chosen from a very young age to be disciples These fishermen would never have expected that a rabbi, a teacher, would have chosen them. But Jesus does, because he knows these are the guys he wants to follow him. And Jesus' invitation is clear. If we can have the next slide. He says two things. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. What's he saying I choose you to be my followers. I'm inviting you on an adventure. I believe in you. I recognize that you have what it takes to be on this adventure with me. Amazing words for anyone to hear from a rabbi, but especially a random group of fishermen. Come, follow me. Do you remember hearing those words for the first time? Jesus saying... I choose you to be my disciples. I want you to partner with me. I want you to be in my family. Even as I'm saying those words, my knees shake a little bit. I remember the moment when I said, yes, I'm going to follow you. But actually, that was many years ago now. I'm feeling old. Yeah, I am. Anyway, uh, but actually, 
He says to me every single morning, come follow me. Come follow me today. Come follow me on the adventures I have for you today. Remember a member of this church who's not here this morning, but I have told her I'm using this story, saying to me that uh, every morning for a month, she tried to get out of bed uh, without putting her feet on the floor, but putting her knees on the floor too as an act of submission to God to remind herself that she was going to give it all to Jesus that day. I thought I'd try it. Really don't recommend it. Getting out of bed without putting your feet on the floor straight onto your knees is really hard. Do you know what? You're all going to have a go tomorrow, aren't you? Tweet about it or something. Anyway, it's really hard, but I do love the concept that actually you get out of bed and every single day you respond to Jesus' invitation to come and follow him. Every single day. Come and follow me. But the other bit is an interesting invitation. Come and follow me, but then go. Go and be disciples of, uh, go and be fishers of people, of men, it says. Jesus' first interaction with these disciples is an invitation to come and be with him, but then to also go, to go and do what he's doing, which was to seek and save the lost. We read that again and again uh, throughout Mark. He immediately, it says that a lot in Mark as well, went to heal, went to speak of the good news, went to go and announce that the time of the Lord had come. And so his disciples, right at the beginning get told to go and be with him to surrender to him but then to go and do what he wants them to do however the next bit is incredible I say that word using it knowing that actually I wouldn't have done this it's almost unbelievable that they did because they were used to this this is a fishing net I have no idea what to do with it I've never used one of these before in my life, apart from crabbing at Southworld, and you don't use one of these. This is a fishing net. The fishermen knew what to do with this. They had been trained from a young age, especially the other two by Zebedee, to use a fishing net. And yet, Jesus comes along and says, come follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And then it says these words, immediately they dropped their nets. Immediately, they dropped their nets. Now think for a moment, these nets are really significant to them, really significant to them. These represented so many things about their life as they knew, if we can have the next slide. This net represented these things I've put and many more, their family, their livelihood, their reputation, everything that they thought they were going to do in their present and their future. They were going to be fishermen until they could no longer fish because of age. That was their livelihood. That's how they earned their money. That's where their reputation knows. Yeah, that's James. He's a fisherman. Their reputation, their ambition, their everything was centred around these nets. Everything that they knew is represented in a fishing net. Everything that they thought they'd ever know is represented in a fishing net. So when we hear, immediately they dropped their nets. Immediately, 
They left everything that they knew and everything that they thought they would know behind to follow Jesus. I go a little bit like, wow. Because it doesn't say... They went and prayed about it for three days. They fasted. They gathered some friends around to lay hands on them and check that it was of the Lord. And then in about five months' time, when they had battled everything, they decided to follow Jesus. In the message, it said they asked no questions and they followed him. They went for it. Jesus asked us to do the same. We're called, just like those first disciples, to follow God and to be fishers of men. We're called to come to him and then go in his name. We're called to do that. But it says that we have to drop our own nets and whatever our nets represent, which we'll think about in a moment, to follow him. Every morning as I wake up, I have to drop my nets before God and say, I'm giving you my all. Jesus showed us exactly how to do that. He died on a cross. Andrew referred to it in the worship. And there is blue sky out there, which is another truth. Haven't had much of that recently. But Jesus gave up everything. He knew what it was to surrender to the Father's will. He knew what it was to give up his own net, his own life. We read in Romans, that really well-known passage, but I'm going to read it again, that Paul, a couple of hundred years later, or a hundred years later, said the same thing. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your lives, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's about giving our every day to him, surrendering our every day to saying, I'm coming to follow you today, whatever that will mean, and I will leave things behind. I will drop my nets to do just that. Leaving our nets. Now, again, I'm not a fisherman. David, you're really going to regret sitting on the front row, mate. Come stand with me. So glad that you're on the front. Made him hold my cat kids and bag earlier. That was a bit humiliating. Right. What does a net do, David? <laughs> You've been in the water, this. <laughs> Needs a bath now, everybody. It traps us, doesn't it? Traps us. Are you feeling trapped? Yeah. Feeling vulnerable? Yeah. Feeling a bit smelly? Yeah. Good. There you go. Thank you very much. No one's ever going to sit on the front row again, are they? It traps us. Now, there are some positive uses for fishing nets other than throwing your friends in them. Uh, But actually, nets can trap us. So what things hold us back from following Jesus? What does leaving our nets, my nets, mean for me today? So we're going to think about that just for a few minutes together. But um, I've only got a few of them because we could talk about this for the next six months. I want you to have a listen to Jesus. What is he saying to you about leaving your nets today? And and here's a couple. uh, They're on the screen. Our reputation and our ambition can be nets that hold you back. I've probably told this story many times before, but when I was growing up, I was about 14 years old, all I wanted to do in the world was be a killer whale trainer. You joke, you laugh. It was so true. We'd been to Sea Life centres, we'd been to SeaWorld in Florida, and I wanted nothing else than to be one of those people that held onto the back of a dolphin and went like that. 
I would have loved that job, I think. Not so good with fishing nets. But anyway, that was actually what I wanted to do. And then when I got to 15, I realized it didn't pay very much. So I thought I could be a zoologist. So I took up geography and biology. And I I was still at that point thinking that was where God was wanting me to go. Maybe it was the sunshine of Florida. I don't know. But actually, my ambition was around that. It was about being some kind of trainer in a in fish, honestly. I look back now and think, what was I doing? But actually, I remember at age 17 saying to God, I will do anything for you. I will give up my ambition of being a a sun-based, beautiful babe on the back of an orca um, to do whatever you want. But I will never be a Baptist minister. I said those words. I'm regretting it now because 12 years on, I'm still a Baptist minister. But Actually, I said, I will give everything up, these nets of ambition that I have, apart from one caveat, and I will do whatever I want. And then the caveat was, I won't be a Baptist minister, and God made me do that. But, well, that's another story. Our ambition can hold us back. We might have our life mapped out. I'm quite a good planner. I like to have a diary. I like to go there and go, right, in three months' time, we're going to go to Diggerland on Saturday, and it's all sorted God actually says, give me your ambition and your plans and then watch the adventures I take you on. Being a Baptist minister has been the greatest joy in the world, despite me saying no to it many times. The adventures God has for us are absolutely incredible if we give up our own ambition before him and say, I am yours. Our reputation, that's an interesting one. The fishermen had a reputation of having a business which provided fish for people. Zebedee and sons, come, we do the best fish in the whole of Galilee. That was what their reputation was built on. There were many fishermen. They were a competition. They would have had to have fished well to bring in money to feed their own family and to make their lives work. They had a reputation to uphold, a reputation that they walked away from by leaving their nets. We've all got a reputation of one way or another, but the question for me is, what does my reputation look like? What does that mean? What does that mean? As we've been stepping out and going a little bit more and hanging out with lots of non-Christians... Uh, which has been such a joy. I'm often catching myself going, if I say that, what will they think of me and what will they think of God? It's an interesting question as I'm talking to my friends. If I say I'm going to pray for you and nothing happens, what does that say about me? Does it say my prayers don't work or that God doesn't exist? Our, our reputation as we go is a challenge. It is a challenge. As I go out... I think a little bit about what it's saying about me. I need to leave that net behind me and do what God asks me to do. Even if that means I look like a bit of a wally, which I have done many times over the years. This uh, quote popped up on my Facebook feed this week. Couldn't have happened at a better moment. The best teams are made up of a bunch of nobodies who love everybody and serve anybody and don't care about becoming a somebody. Jesus came as a servant. He asked us to do the same. Jesus came giving up his whole life for God. He asked us to do the same. He didn't care about his own reputation. And in fact, in Mark, we find him many times saying, shh, 
Don't tell anybody, because he didn't want the reputation, the gossip wheels, to get going. He wanted people to find out for himself, for themselves, at the right time. I am called to give everything up to Jesus, even my reputation. Is that net holding us back at the moment? Is that net holding us back? Let's have the next slide, please. One of the the things that hold us back uh, can be lies about who you are or your past or destructive habits. I'll talk about the last two in a minute. And lies can be an interesting thing. Sometimes they're things that people speak to us and you think they're not true, but somehow they do take hold of us. They can be lies that Satan whispers in our ears because he likes to underpin, underpin anything that, you know, God's saying a truth and Satan just kind of says something a bit different about that, which isn't true. Uh, but actually, I've discovered my own brain is the worst thing at speaking lies to myself. A silly example, but when I gave up work last September, I don't know how many people said to me, uh, including myself, uh, now that you have more time... I have two small children anyway. Now you have more time. You need to become a brilliant housewife. Chris is joking, lurking. All right, so what happened was I took a lot of time cooking. We've had many, many burnt offerings at our table in our house in the last few months, and my children have been made to eat it. I have tried to basically declutter our life, which basically means that we just have more toys everywhere. And I have tried really hard to make sure that as Richard walks in, there is a cup of tea waiting for him and dinner on the table. It hasn't worked. You laugh. It has not worked. I told myself that that's what a perfect housewife looked like. And it's not true. Richard loves to cook. So if I cook for him every night, he's annoyed with me. I've got the best husband in the world. Actually, I've got two small children who love to play cars, so my house is like a car park most of the time. I'm not that person, actually, who is brilliant at cake making, but I do enjoy it. So if it's burnt, it's burnt, but I've tried to make it with love. I spoke lies into my head about who God wanted to be, me to be. Now, I know that actually I do have more time, so I can do some of those things and some of those things I enjoy. But if I stop Richard doing the things that he's enjoying, then that's not true either. The lies I'd spoken in my head were not what God was saying to me. They were what I have constructed. Now, my latest domestic bliss battles are nothing compared to some of the lies that I and others of us live under. There are many lies. We're too fat. We're too thin. We're not beautiful. These are some of the lies that our world tells us, but also we ourselves tell us. I'm not intelligent enough to do that, or I'm not bright enough. I haven't got a university degree, so I couldn't be considered for that. Expectations we place on ourselves and the world tries to place on ourselves, whatever they may look like. Our past... I've done that in the past, so God could never love me. That's a lie. I've done that even this week. God could never forgive me. That's a lie. There are all these lies that make a net around us, that trap us and hold us back from surrendering it all to Jesus. Because the truth is, we are chosen. We are good enough. We are not too fat. We are not too thin. We are intelligent enough because the love of God goes through all of that. And he says, I've chosen you and I love you. Give it to me and see what happens. 
had the privilege again and again of people being set free from the nets of the past, set free from the nets of of our lies that we believe, and to actually hear the voice of Jesus, which speaks tremendous truth over us. What else have I put up there? Destructive habits. I'm not going to say much about this. One of the destructive habits that I live under is being distracted all the time. Rather than focusing on Jesus and what he wants me to do, being distracted. So I get to the school gate and I might have a list as long as my arm of things to do. And if someone says to me, Claire, do you want to go for coffee? I go for coffee. Sometimes that's of God. Sometimes that's denial and distraction. I have to say. But there are other destructive habits we have. They could be alcohol and drug addiction that that trap us from giving it all to Jesus. They could be laziness or gossip or negative thought patterns. Whatever they are, they can be a net that hold us back from giving it all to Jesus and the adventures that he has for us. This is an interesting one. Anyone feel sorry for Zebedee? He had a business called Zebedee and Sons, which in the minute went from Zebedee and Sons to Zebedee, old man on his own fishing. His family, his workforce, went to follow Jesus, leaving him with the nets, probably half-mended and unsure what to do. Poor old Zebedee, we think. But actually, he needed to release those guys and go and do what they needed to do. My dad is here. Is he awake? Yeah, hello, Dad. My dad's here. My mum's here for the weekend as well because it's Lucy's birthday. And um, for me, they've been brilliant at releasing me to go and do what God wanted me to do, despite huge personal costs. When I went to Bible college, that obviously cost money. They took in the most random lodgers you have ever met. One guy who arrived with all kinds of pickled sausages and put those in my mum's cupboard. Uh, You know, we've had some random lodgers so they could pay for me to do what God was asking of me to do. Uh, And their commitment to me has been releasing rather than holding me back. Because I said, I know what God is asking of me to do. And they supported me in that. I'll never forget a time when my mum phoned from a Christian conference and said, uh, to say goodnight, goodnight Claire, I was about 14. Um, I just wanted to phone to say, I love you, I love you so much. Have a good night's sleep. How's school gone? And then she said these words, which 20 odd years later I remember. She says, I love you. But I love Jesus even more. And as a 14-year-old teenager, that for me spoke of the way my mum loved God in a way that I can only begin to imagine. She was saying, I love you so much. And I knew that, I'd experienced that, I felt that. But actually she was saying, the most important person in our family is God. And we're going to follow him and we're going to give everything up to him so that as a family we can go on God adventures And we're going to release you to do that. It really struck home to me then. And it's how I have parented my kids since. I want Lucy and and Sam to know that actually, first and foremost in our house, we do what God says. We do what God asks of us. That's been a huge journey for us because actually sometimes I think I might know how, how my kids need this or need that or we try and, you know, but actually together we try and discern what God is saying to us. Zebedee was left behind at some point. My kids will leave and I hope, 
I pray that through the tears, I will let them go to do what God asks them to do. It's a really hard thing to give our families up to God, our marriages up to God, our kids, our grandkids, whatever it is, even our friends up to God. But that's what Jesus was asking the disciples. Leave Zebedee behind and go for it. Go and do what you need to do. Finally, uh, I'm going to talk about being boss. Being boss. And I guess this is the biggest net that we all need to leave behind. When we baptise people, they stand at those steps there, and we ask them two questions. Do they believe in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Number one, kind of important they say yes. Number two, do you turn from a life where you put yourself first to one where you put God first? That's ultimate surrender. We leave that net at the top of those steps to walk into a new life of surrendering it all. Years and years ago, I heard a sermon, and I have no idea why this one stuck with me, because I've heard many, but it was a very simple analogy, uh, which I've used many times. And it basically says, if your life is a car, where is Jesus sitting? For many, many years, uh, uh, I had Jesus running behind me in the car, I was merrily driving my own way. He was trying to catch up, almost. For many, many more months, he was kind of sat in the back seat, whispering direction, saying, I love you. But he was still sat behind me like a backseat driver, which sometimes can be really annoying. Don't know about you, but backseat drivers drive me crazy. Then there came a point where I let God, Jesus, sit next to me in the passenger seat. And I thought I'd done it. I thought I'd given my life to Jesus in everything. And then this sermon came along and struck me through the eyes and said, this is what you need to do, Claire. Budge over. I'm coming in the driver's seat. I'm coming in the driver's seat. Leave the net of control and of wanting to do it your way and let me drive. That's a scary place to be in some ways because we're leaving everything behind, just like those disciples did. And we're saying, we're going with you, Jesus, wherever that may take us. You are allowing Jesus to sit in the front seat today. Is he driving your car? It's an interesting thought as we kind of Realize what these nets are. Nets hold us back from the adventures that Jesus has for us. Nets hold us back from the freedom that he can give us from the past and from all the things that seek to hold us back. These nets need to be left at the cross of Jesus. Immediately they left them and they followed him. said at the beginning that these are things that God is whispering to me. Today, as I woke up and I committed to follow him, he was whispering to me about some of these nets. He was saying to me, I want you to leave that behind because it's stopping you surrendering this bit of your life to God. Maybe it's finance. Maybe it is control. Maybe it's a relationship. I don't know what God is going to whisper to you in these moments. 
But I know as we leave our nets behind to follow him, incredible adventures happen. Amazing things happen when we trust God with everything. When we say, I leave this behind and I'm going to continually lay down my nets and follow you. The adventures we go on with Jesus are beyond what we could imagine and are better than the life we could weave ourselves. Let's just stop for a moment and and have our ears listening to what God is whispering to us today. What do you have to leave behind today to give it all to Jesus? What nets is he saying, leave here? Leave here. Walk free from them today. Let's have a moment of silence as we let God speak to us.